Turn my mics on. Yes, it is. <laughs> Thank you. I, just, I wanna, also wanted to give a little tiny explanation or plug for the Bible conference. It's, it's an exciting thing. It's actually an offering to the entire Monterey Bay. That's why we call it the Monterey Bible Conference. It's our third annual Monterey Bible Conference. And this year we're actually bringing in um, one of the premier uh, Semitic linguists in the United States of America. He's spent his entire career studying the Old Testament languages, and uh, he even knows weird languages, <laughs> like Ugaritic and uh, other strange Semitic languages. He, uh, he has a PhD from the American University uh, in this subject. He's, in, he's spent his entire life studying the Old Testament. He loves the word. Strangely enough, he was my favorite professor in seminary, and at that time, he was teaching Greek. He was a Greek expert, too, so he's, he's a super linguist, which, uh, you know, we're in a town of linguists here. Uh, we could, you know, really advertise that uh, we're bringing in a guy who knows the languages, so if you want to chat in, in Hebrew or, or some other Semitic language, he's, he's ready to do that with you, too. His name is Rick Taylor. He and his wife are coming, and... And as I said, he's, he loves the word, and he, but he's also so practical. I literally remember, and, and I don't remember things that well, uh, but I literally remember his chapel sermon going back uh, like, like 36 years ago. I remember his, his main point, which was simple, straightforward, and loving, which was his main point was, do it now. So he's practical and yet rich in history. So make a point of coming uh, and and inviting people. We've invited all the other local churches, knowing that they probably can't come on Sunday morning, but they can join us for the afternoon and then on Monday night as well. The the Monday night time is really 6.30. The the little flyer apparently got some typos. It says 6, but if you arrive at 6, that's okay. You'll be here in time for 6.30 that way. There is child care uh, for all of those things too. Also, just an observation, um, this prayer watch we're doing, I think we'd all say God is real, he's the living God, he's the almighty God, and he has paid an enormous price for us to have access to him, to the throne of grace through the blood of Jesus, and he's made the way uh, to for us to come. And I think we'd all agree that we need to pray more as, as individuals, as families, as, and as a church. And uh, we're challenged. There's a big job ahead of us as, as a church uh, to represent the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ on, on Hawthorne Street here and to the greater Monterey Bay area. And we should definitely start on our knees. Should we not? Amen. Amen. So, uh, <clears throat> this is my plug. You know what? I'm going to be traveling that day. I'm going to be gone. But does that mean I can't take an hour of that day and pray? No, it does not mean that. You don't have to be in Monterey to pray. God hears prayer no matter where you are. And so if you're traveling that day like I happen to be, um, let's, let's go ahead and sign up. Let's have, you know, I don't want to put it too bluntly, but if you're a believer and you're happen to be sitting in a pew right now, 
you know, give me three good reasons why you should not sign up on your way out, right? Uh, I don't believe in God. I'm too busy to pray. And what's the use anyway? Okay, those are unacceptable excuses, right? Can I hear an amen? Amen. Charlotte says, I shouldn't make you yell. I know. I guess I was born partly Pentecostal. <laughs> I've never been Pentecostal. <laughs> but, but I was a Baptist, and we had a beautiful Baptist preacher named Merle Booth, who almost every Sunday he was bawling his eyes out and crying and swinging his one arm around. He lost an arm. Uh, he only had one arm to gesticulate, but he did it really well. And uh, so that impressed me as a little kid, and he baptized me, and I thank you, Merle Booth, for passion and for love. So, I'll try not to make you yell very often. So we're going to be talking about passion <laughs> today, and, and one-armed preachers. Um, we're going to be talking about passion and love today. It's, it's probably one of the top well-known passages in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's read and used in weddings, no matter what, what their denominational stripe, whether they're even religious or not, people still turn to this as a beautiful description of what love should be about. Weddings, marriages should be about love. So our lives should be compared to this. If you look at, at the beginning, I'm going to uh, open up with, look at Galatians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. If you look at Galatians, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit in chapter 5, Galatians 5. It's an interesting passage, and... Let me just read a little bit here, because this is a super well, uh, well-known and, and a great introduction to this topic today. This is Paul saying, verse 16, Galatians 5, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So here he's saying that we as 
believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you know, I take for granted that most of you who got up early, came to church on Sunday morning, are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're still seeking and wondering if you were fully committed to Christ, you're, we're, we're thrilled you're here and invite you to continue on in that journey. But those of us who know we've received Christ as our Savior, then we have this struggle in us between what Paul calls here the flesh, the desires of the flesh, lusts of the flesh, and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who desires to work good things in us. So we're in a battleground. Our own inner, inner selves are battlegrounds, and there's, they're opposed to each other. And Paul says we should walk by the Spirit. See that? Verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Uh, trust the Lord, obey the Lord, submit to God, submit to the Holy Spirit, and do what he calls us to do. And the fruit of the Spirit working in us is love, joy, peace, patience, etc. So today we're looking at love. And I'm going to read the entire chapter. We won't necessarily, we're not going to hit it all with equal weight. We're going to focus mainly on the middle part. Uh, But let me read this text for us today. This is 1 Corinthians verse, chapter 13, 1 and following. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Then I'll pull up the next two words. Pursue love. And we're going to stop there. So let's pray. Lord, in your kindness and grace, teach us all. Lord, would you please freely work deeply in all of our hearts to convict us of sin today. That we'd be moved to repentance. We'd be drawn to you and just beg you for the fruit of the Spirit today. That we'd be people 
who have the mark of God on us, that they can see you working in us. Lord, we need that desperately. We are all so prone to failure and to sin. We confess our sin. We come boldly to your throne only through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we're so thankful that his blood constantly cleanses us from all sin. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so let's put this in context. It's really important. We've been studying through the whole book of of 1 Corinthians, and as I look out, I see that almost all of you have been here for most, or if not uh, most, if not part of it, but most of the time, what we've been teaching. And um, it's this church in this amazing hubbub of activity, one of the largest cities around in that day, the church in Corinth. And Paul came into the city and the Lord opened doors and people came to Christ and they started a church there. And this is a couple of years after uh, that church started. And um, if you look on our webpage, I have this uh, series, 1 Corinthians, and I put the word messy across, across 1 Corinthians because it, it's a messy church. Lots of strange and bizarre things are just sort of tolerated in this church. And really, honestly, summing up today's whole message is the big thing they missed was love. Uh, They weren't loving each other. And in chapter 11, 13, and 14, did I say 11, 13, and 14? That sounds like a publication we would put out, right? I meant to say (laughs) 12, 13, and 14. Uh, Paul's talking about a big issue in the church. It, it was about spiritual gifts. And in, this is the first century. They don't have what we call the New Testament yet. There's uh, some letters floating around, but this is one of the earliest letters. See, they didn't have 1 Corinthians yet, did they? They would receive it, and they have it uh, once they've received it, but they don't have the New Testament. Um, and what God was doing in this very first century was revealing himself to people directly and supernaturally through these amazing gifts. There would be prophecy, which really means that God was revealing new information to them, and they were to to study it. We'll get into more of this in chapter 14 over the next couple of weeks. But there would be prophecies. Somebody would stand up and, let's say, uh, they'll just pretend they were speaking Koine Greek. You know, for us it would be English. You know, they'd be speaking American English. And they'd say something, this is what God says. And it would be um, a truth that they would compare with what they know of theology in the Old Testament to determine whether or not that was true or not. And then there was this other gift. It's called tongues. And really, if you study it through, it's talking about known human languages. In other words, it would be as if one of you would stand up and under the influence of the Holy Spirit be able to speak perfect Mandarin Chinese, assuming you didn't know Mandarin Chinese on your own, right? It would be this miraculous spiritual gift that you could speak this language. And, And Paul will be careful to say, again, in this whole teaching that then someone has another spiritual gift, which is strangely, unbeknownst to them, they can interpret, they can translate Mandarin. And it's a a special wave of fresh revelation. 
most of the tongues gift were a sign for unbelievers, Paul will teach us in first, uh, chapter 14 as well. In other words, it was evangelistic. You were supposed to go, so say, let's go to, um, let's go to Korea, let's sneak into North Korea, hypothetically speaking. Uh, <laughs> we're going to end up in, in prison here in a few minutes. But, uh, you know, we go in there, but I'm English speaking. I don't know a one word of Korean. But I can go in there and I have this miraculous gift to be able to teach about Jesus Christ through this gift of uh, miracle language. I can speak Korean. I never studied it a day in my life, but I can speak it uh, to these Koreans. Well, and then there's another one, knowledge, he talks about. You can see them in, in verse 8, uh, prophecies, tongues, knowledge, um, and even in uh, the first few verses, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mystery and have all knowledge, um, those were like the showy gifts. Knowledge was similar to prophecy. Uh, you were given special, miraculous access to new information uh, from God, fresh revelation. Uh, what has happened over time was at the end of that very first century, the apostolic age, those miraculous gifts stopped. And this is historically true. Uh, they, new revelation was stopped, new, new, new information, even the gift of tongues ceased at that time. And, and so we, we had the completed word of God, God gave us the Bible, and the need for the fresh revelation gifts was no longer there. But the, there's the problem. The church in Corinth was all kind of hung up on what another commentator called the showy gifts. They were showy, and they were actually proud of it. You know, you can imagine one individual feeling very proud that I have the gift of tongues or prophecy. It was like, look at me. God's using me as his voice. And it puffs me up. It makes me feel proud that I have this role in the church. And they were like arguing and bickering and their meetings would just get out of hand. It was crazy. Uh, and so again, I, we point to future, future studies. Um, in chapter 14, we'll find out he controls all of that. And he, he uh, carefully puts rules down to how to control uh, these showy gifts. But the thing that they're missing, and this gets us to our text, is, is love. Um, the more, by the way, here's, uh, the title comes from, look, look at verse 31 of the previous chapter. It's kind of interesting. He says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And that's the word greater uh, look at chapter 14, verse 5. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. See, tongues was evangelistic. Prophecy was teaching the meat of theology. Uh, fresh, greater revelation of God. So he says, Prophecy is greater. The one who prophesies is greater. That's the same word, earnestly desire the higher or the greater gifts. 
uh, meaning he'll be, and this again, all plays out in chapter 14. All the answers are there, but don't read it yet. (laughs) Um, It plays out in saying that's what really teaches people when we study the word of God, and that's how it transfers to us. We study the word of God. That's how we're nourished. Uh, Paul the Apostle will say, if you want to be a teacher, you want to be a pastor, you need to be constantly nourished on the words of the faith. Uh, if you want to be a pastor, you nourish, eat constantly the word of God, and all of us should do that much more. Okay, so uh, that's verse 31. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. He says, yes, there's all these different gifts, but it's good to desire to build up the body of Christ. Uh, it's good to desire those things. And then verse 31, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Uh, That's our title today. The more excellent way, of course, is love. The excellent is that word hyperbole. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago in my sermon. Uh, Hyperbole means an overthrow. Literally in Greek means to like take a ball and you're throwing some guy out at first. You throw it, boom, and ends up way out in right field. Now, in baseball, that would be a really bad thing. Or it would be worse to end up in left field, right? Um, But the idea is it's more than abundant, way beyond. It's it's a hyperbole. Balo is the Greek word to throw, like a ball. And so Paul says, I'm going to show you this hyperbolic way, this wonderful, exceeding Way and and the way word way is this great Greek word. It's the word hadas, and remember what Jesus said: "I am the, I am the way." Same word. I am the hadas. I'm. Think of it as pathway or trail. I love trails. Do you love trails? I I, honestly, I just I, I see a trail. I'm tempted to just go on it. You know, I just I love trails. I love hiking, and you can imagine. The, the excellent trail versus the one that just doesn't get you where you want to go. <clears throat> you know, you're, if, you don't, if you miss the trail, you might be very, very lost. And, uh, you know, every year, uh, really hundreds of people get lost, even in the Sierras. You know, we think it's so simple. But, you know, one tree starts to look like another after not too long. <laughs> Uh, or the Appalachian Trail, you know, that goes across the East Coast. You can always read stories about tragic, sad stories. People stop on the path, think, oh, I better, I need to go to the bathroom. They go off the path a little ways. Uh, I read about that. Have you heard about this one recently? And the lady got lost, and she died, like two and a half months later. Lost in the woods in eastern United States because she missed the right way. And so Paul says, don't miss this, the right path. This is the right journey. This is the, the way we should go. Okay, so let's look at this passage. As I said, I'm going to speed through the first part and mainly focus on the middle uh, because there's some awesome information there. Okay, my thing is not clicking, so uh, maybe you're going to have to help me today. Is it plugged in, the UB, USB? Okay. Oh, wait a minute. Did I do that? He did it? Okay, thanks. 
<laughs> so I'm going to have to say, click. <laughs> so love is the key ingredient for good. Give me the next slide, please. No matter how talented or insightful you are, right? That's what he's saying in this glorious introduction. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, you know, by the way, if you think for a minute, what language do angels speak? Every time they speak, they use human language, <laughs> you know? Uh, in fact, they usually use probably uh, Hebrew and Isaiah, holy, 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 the seraphim say over and over again. It, it's, it's really kind of a, a, what's the word I'm looking for? A, a rhetorical tool. He says, we'll start here and go to the, the ultimate if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, see, he's going to the hyperbolic uh, extreme. Even if I'm that talented, like, Giannis, you come to me five times out of ten, come to me with a difficult theological question, and I'll say, uh, I don't know. I'm going to have to look that one up. I want to do some more study before I give you some sort of pat answer, you know? Uh, because although I've spent my whole life studying theology, there's, it's a deep and marvelous field, right? But this is the guy who really knows everything. He's the know-it-all who really knows it all. I know everything. And what if you had faith to, even to remove mountains? Now, of course, that's a phrase from whom? Jesus, right? Jesus said, if you have a faith like a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, and, and it will happen. You know, that's a lot of faith. Or it's a little faith, but it's faith in a really, really big God. And it, it's, it's a, an exaggeration. I mean, I don't think, honestly, Jesus ever intended any of us to have the power to say to Jack's Peak, okay, into the ocean you go. <laughs> um, I just... Don't think he meant that. What he means is that we should trust God with the really big, massive, scary, overwhelming things that, that we, we see every day. You know, er, you know, who doesn't feel overwhelmed? You know, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but I'm asking you. Don't you, as you get older, you get more and more overwhelmed you know, by life. I mean, life is just, like when we were young, raising our kids, we kind of thought, well, these are the hard times. I, I kind of thought, you know, if you can survive it when they're two years old, three years old, four years old, that, those are the hard times in life. No. <laughs> you know, because things get bigger and they, they, they drive you to your knees more often. You pray with more earnestness than you ever did about a two-year-old's tantrum or a four-year-old's uh, inability to be potty trained, for example. Um, so... Faith is required, and it's to, to remove mountains. But, but even if you had that, that kind of faith, and you don't have love, you're nothing. So no matter how talented or, or insightful you are, without love, next slide, please. You are not helpful. That's what this clanging uh, cymbal and noisy gong is. Without love, you're just, you're just not helpful. No matter how talented you are. Next slide. You Look at this. You amount to nothing. This is strong language. In, in modern psychological uh, terms, we would say, you shouldn't say that. 
That's a little rude, a little mean, but look what he says here. Even if I had that kind of faith to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. No matter how talented you are, no matter how well versed you are in any given subject, any given subject, maybe computer programming or building a house or theological sophistication, uh, no matter how skilled you are, if you don't have love, you, you're nothing. You, that's what you amount to. That's pretty scary, right? You see why it's called the uh, key ingredient. And then look at the last one. It's even more insulting. Click, please. Yeah, you gain nothing. You know, even if you give all that I have, and I, even to the extent of delivering up my body to be burned, I'm that kind of a giving person. But if you have not love, you gain nothing. It saps all the value out of all of your hard work. So what is love? Click, please. What is love? Click, please. Love is patient and kind. Let's look at these words. And again, I'm just going to take the the remaining time going, going over this slowly. I was thinking about those commercials for medications that are ubiquitous, you know. But you can always tell, too, the demographic, you know. You're watching a show and, you know, all the, uh, all the ads come on for, like, geriatric medicine. You think, well, I guess, uh, you know, they're hitting my demographic here. You know, I guess that's really how old I am. I start, to start thinking about geriatric medications, you know. Um, but what is it about those ads that's really interesting, right? In the last, you know, 22 seconds, they have some guy going, suicide, patricide, homicide. You know, what did he say? <laughs> you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what was that about, patricide? <laughs> you know, keep that one away from my kids, you know. <laughs> that means to kill your father. <laughs> that's a joke. I don't think any of them say may cause patricide, but you got the point, right? It's just like, blah, 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 blah. Please don't listen to this, but we're required by the federal government to say these things, right? You know, let's not let the word of God be like that for us, you know? Oh, love. Oh, this is love. And, and there's seven um, categories here that I've, I've sort of narrowed down. First of all, love is patient and kind, right at the... Verse 4, love is patient. This is the very first word he chooses about love. And I put the Greek word there for you. Makra thume is, is the Greek word. Makra thume. Thume, um, it's probably related to uh, the Greek word therma, which means heat, like thermal. Um, thume means to be to be hot with passion. And it also means like to breathe. He's, he's breathing hard. And his, you can tell his spirit is excited. Now, makra means long and slow. So you could say this means to be slow burning. To, to, it's the idea of not, not exploding quickly. Uh, not getting hot fast. Makra thumia, thumas means to, uh, to be 
I am hot to be to rush on something to breathe violently it signifies both the spirit panting as if it were in the body the, the, the rage with which a man pants and swells uh, thumos the root word means to have passion to be angry to have heat to anger boiling up and soon subsiding again uh, the, uh, there's another greek word orge which means wrath, but it's like the long, like built up, builds up, builds up, builds up, real long, 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 and finally, finally explodes. He chooses first. Love is patient. Love doesn't blow up at little irritations. Love doesn't jump to conclusions before the case is really understood, right? Love doesn't get so mad. I, you know, I discover something and before we have time to discuss it, I'm out of here. That's it. I don't want to hear it. It's gone. There's no, you know. That's not love. That quick reaction. Um, Makrothumia also it means to be slow and long-suffering. It also refers to God in a couple of places. Like one is Second Peter 3.9. It says he's long-suffering toward us. You know, imagine if God had a short fuse. You know, who, who, would, who would have made it to church today? <laughs> yeah. Who would have lived past, you know, um, middle school, right? Who would, have, who would have lived? I was so bad as a seventh and eighth grader. I know that's really hard to imagine, but I just, I, I think back, and I, our teacher was, was uh, this young, young, brand new teacher, right? Named Kathy, and I just abused her so badly. I, what was I thinking. Uh, That's why I think, you know, middle schools are just a bad idea, (laughs) generally speaking. (laughs) Anyway, what what am I saying? Can you imagine if God had a short fuse? He's patient with us. He doesn't treat us as our, our sins deserve, but he's waiting for us to come to repentance. And, and he is love. He is the definition of love. So, very first thing about love, love is patient and it is kind. Now this word kind, the next one, it's a neat word because it, it means, the, the root word means to uh, borrow or to receive a loan. And the idea is, you know, you need something, maybe you need a new car and uh, the, you know, the bank is just ever so kind, <laughs> generous. You know, let's not say that's a bad illustration. But, but the bank gives you a loan to buy that car, and it's, it's really helpful. It, it fits. It meets the need. And you're really very thankful for it. And that's what the root of this word kindness is. It means to be fit for use, to be useful, and therefore virtuous and good that's a good thing to be pleasant as opposed to uh, sharp harsh hard bitter love is not sharp and hard and difficult to deal with love is fitting the situation uh, of things that are more pleasant of people who are benevolent so he starts out with Love is patient and love is kind. We're just going to go through these. Oh, click please. Sorry. <laughs> love does not envy or boast. Love does not envy or boast. 
Think about this. If you, if you love, then you're aware of the other person's feelings. First of all, on envy, that means they have something that you wish you had. Uh, whatever it is, you know, oftentimes it's a talent or an ability or maybe it's just wealth. Uh, they have something that you want. Not love is to envy them, to despise them because they have that thing. Uh, I think probably the earliest example of this is Cain and Abel. You know, he perceived properly that God was more pleased with Abel and he envied that. He hated Abel for that. So he killed him. That's obviously not love. Love does not envy. We rejoice with them. We, we learn to get into who they are. And the Bible says, be of the same mind. Think the same thoughts. Be thankful with them over their blessings. And then the other side of that is to boast. That's when I have something that somebody else might want. I'm puffed up, proud of it, and I'm boasting over it. I'm, I'm not at all interested in how it affects you. I think this shows up a lot of times in like little casual conversations. Somebody, somebody comes to you to tell you some wonderful thing that happened in their life. You know, like, uh, I don't know, just make something up maybe. You know, what, what could we make up? Maybe they, let's, let's say they got a, a, a new job. They really like their job and they're happy with it. And they're excited about it. And, you know, you say, well, that's really great, but you know what? <laughs> I've got this even better job, and my thing is more interesting than your thing. Rather than pausing and just listening to them and saying, wow, that is really great. I'm sure that is a big relief for you, and it's, I'm so happy for you. You know, we, we immediately start comparing, right? You know what I mean? It's like the person, you, you, can, you tell them something, and they always got a one-upmanship. Tell you something better about their own life. Let's not be that way. That's not love. That is, that is proud and being more interested in what you have. Let's click to the next of the, of the seven. This is number three. I decided to put some more Greek on the screen for us. It is not arrogant or rude. Now, this thing with arrogance, opposite of love, it is, love is not arrogant, this is one of the biggest problems in the Corinthian church. Uh, we can say that because the, the word is seven times in the entire Bible, and in Corinthians it's one, two, three, four, five times. Five out of the seven times. Uh, no, 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 six. Six out of the seven times <laughs> that, Paul, that Paul uses this word in the entire Bible is in Corinth. They had a problem with ego. Uh, they were, and the word means to be inflated or puffed up. They were the opposite of humble. They were inflated with pride. They were vain. And they were arrogant about what they had. That's not love. Love is humble. It's, it's not being proud of what you have. Being Less than puffed up. What is the opposite of puffed up? It means to be small. It means to take a smaller step. Do not brag about your gifts, your ability, your education, your uh, address, or you know anything like that. But to be uh, small in the, in the sight of others. Big problem at Corinth. The, the next word, rude. Uh, 
to be, click, I don't think I put this on there. Click once and then click back. Yeah, go ahead and click back. Um, this, this Greek word is two, just two times in the Bible. And it means to behave in an unbecoming manner. Now, how many know what the word s- s- um, a schismatic, what is it? Uh, schematic, that's the word I'm looking for. How, how many know what a schematic is? Okay, it's a very careful diagram. Um, I recently was studying the schematic diagram of the wiring on my motorcycle because one of the switches is is not working. So I want to find out which which wires go to that switch, right? And it means something that's orderly and presented in, in a fashion that you can understand and it makes sense. This word, to be rude, is to be against the, the, the design, against the schematic. It means to not, means to act in an unbecoming manner. To love is, I try to figure out what the best way to act here in this situation and I try to fit in. I, I don't try to act unusual or out of step with, with everyone else. I don't try to tip over you know, old English phrase, knock over the apple cart. Um, love is to, you know, try to steady the apple cart and work through a system that works well. Okay, that's what love is. It's not arrogant or rude. Next, next click, please. It does not insist on its own way. I think this is self-explanatory. Love, if you want value, if you want to mean something, if you want to gain something... Then he says, develop the ability to incorporate the ideas of others. Uh, love doesn't insist on its own way. You know, here, here in church leadership, we've, we see this off and on, where somebody comes in you know, and has like their, their own new idea. And we, want, we, we should discuss it, and probably they have a really good idea, and, and maybe we can incorporate parts of it. But sometimes their attitude is like, this is the idea. You have to accept this now. And if you don't accept it now, um, I'm not interested in you anymore. I'm going to give up because you guys are stupid, obviously. Uh, I don't care if you've figured this system out. You've done it this way for 50 or 75 years. My idea is perfect and needs no modification. I want you to accept it now. Uh, That's the idea of non-love. Uh, it's insisting on its own way. Love develops the ability to incorporate the ideas of others. Now, click please. So we're one, two, three, four, five. The fifth one, love is not irritable or resentful. Irritable is not, the, the Greek word resentful is that phrase there, which is u la gidzitai ta kakan. We're going to get to that in a second. Hold on to the kakan. But irritable. Love is not irritable. And irritable means to be sharp. To be sharpened. Like, it's the kind of person, like, you, you don't want to be around them because they're uh, prickly. <laughs> and they are just, sh- you know, short-tempered, prickly, puffed up, stuck on their own way. Yuck. The kind of person that everybody in the room has to accommodate to uh, no, that's not love. That is not love. And I, I like the word prickly and resentful. 
literally means, uh, the word logizitai means like, like the, um, a bookkeeper carefully records uh, transactions and ha- how much was spent and how much w- was brought in. Uh, that's this word here to, you can hear logic in there. It means to write it down and keep a careful record of it. Sometimes they're called the bean counters, right? People who, no, 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 there's 17 beans. You know, I'm the kind of guy who goes, eh, 15 to 20, I don't know. No, 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 there's 17 beans. You know, I say, God bless the bean counters. It's not my gift. I need that gift. (laughs) You know, it's a wonderful thing, uh, but it's just not me. But in this case, it's the bean counters who count takakan. Isn't that a wonderful Greek word? Almost sounds like a four-letter word, doesn't it? <laughs> what do you think it means? Yeah, it means bad. It means um, stuff that's wrong. So love doesn't keep a record of every wrong committed. Like, love is not coming into a relationship and thinking, okay, I've got a record over the last seven years of everything you've done wrong. I've kept it very carefully, and it's near and dear to my heart, and I, will, I just can't look past that s- series of kakan in your life. Uh, he says that's resentful. See how that, they, they, ESV decided to translate that as resentful. This is, is this important in a marriage, for example? <laughs> you know... In other words, long-term relationship. We mess up, we do stupid things, uh, you know, little things, big things, uh, you, bad investment, 10,000 here, some other, thing, other numbers here, right? And if, if the spouses are just constantly, okay, that one's going in the book too, you know? So anytime we have a disagreement, what comes out? Ah! on. I've got you because you are a failure indeed. You are a sinner indeed. And I've got the evidence to prove it. Uh, that is not loving. Love has a way of over... What does it say? Love covers a multitude of sins. It really does. That's what the Word of God says. Okay, we're getting down there. One, two, three, four, five. Give me number six, please. The number of a man, six. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. This is kind of an expansion of it doesn't keep an accurate record of the kakan. It it means to not rejoice with the wrongdoing. And the Greek literally is to give a happy greeting to, to what is unrighteous. Uh, the word uh, for wrongdoing in me is unrighteous. And the, it's to, to give a happy greeting to what is unrighteous. Can't you just see that in human behavior? Something unrighteous happens and it makes you happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, like you don't like that person so much, you hate them, that when you hear something evil, unrighteous about their life, your first reaction is not... It's not pity, it's not prayer, it's not grace. It's like, yes, I'm so glad this happened to them. And Paul has to say, excuse me, that isn't love. You know, if you didn't know it, that's not love. And you're called to love that person. Um, and I'm sure America is, is guilty of this, but I, I personally will, forgive me for this, but I'll never ever get over the day of 
uh, you know, I, I watched it on TV. And, and then they, at some, sometime later, they, they showed us a picture of, they told me, I don't know if it was true, but they said it was a Palestinian uh, housing area in Israel. And there were people out on the street dancing for joy. Particularly there was like a 25-year-old chubby mother out there just, you know, going like this. And to, for some reason, that just really hit me hard, you know. And like I said, I'm sure we're just as guilty of it, uh, but it just felt so bad. There's a hatred there to rejoice, to greet fondly unrighteousness. Also remember, uh, and I'm way over time, forgive me. Uh, give me some love. <laughs> I'll, I'll finish up real quick. But one more quick story. I distinctly remember this while... Uh, well, Charlotte was wonderfully pregnant with my first-born son. Uh, I was working at McDonald's yeah, to keep uh, ends together. I, I enjoyed it, rather, but I, it was right when Ronald Reagan was shot in D.C. I, I, I was working and living in D.C. area. And I remember some of the other co-workers, they came in, they were like, totally excited about this. They thought it was the most wonderful thing that ever happened. And I said, wow, we're on a different political planet, you know. I mean, this is the president of the United States. You shouldn't be thankful and greet with joy this unrighteous uh, event. Anyway, those are some ideas that fit into this. Let's, let's love and first start with grief and then prayer when we hear about unrighteous. Okay, number seven is ready for us. And we'll, we'll call this a day. Seven. Love bears all things, and I put three of them together here <laughs> just to get seven. <laughs> Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is love. This is love. And he says at the bottom, pursue love. Uh, that's, I like that word, the very first word there in chapter 14. It's dioko in Greek, which also means to persecute. And pursue, persecute. What do, what, what do we hate about persecutors? Is they keep pushing until they grab the item that they're going after and pro- probably beat it up. He says that's the way our attitude should be toward love. You've got to keep pushing for this. Long and pray for the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we've spent some time trying to uh, not treat your word like the disclaimer at the end of a, a drug commercial, to spend just a little time letting the words wash over our hearts and minds. And Lord, would you please, in your kindness, uh, bring home so many lessons to each and every one of us. We're all needing to grow in love. Uh, we, we need you. We need the fruit of the Spirit. And we do long to amount to something, to be useful, uh, to gain something. And we know this only comes through your work in our life. So we pray to that end. Please help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.